This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. You have your Bible this morning. Go ahead and turn to Romans, the 12th chapter, Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in the very beginning, verse 1. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture that we reference often, that we read often. Remember, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and he says this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. You know, this morning I want to talk to you about breaking barriers as we're continuing in our series in value and growing in understanding value. And we all have barriers in our lives. These barriers are lies. They're distortions of truth that keep us from seeing and believing the truth. Every Christ follower has barriers, and the Apostle Paul knew this. And he wrote here in Romans chapter 12 that we need to renew our minds. We need to change the way that we're thinking. We need to allow our value system to be reprogrammed. And he's not denying the fact that Christ hasn't come and made things new, because when we receive Christ, our spirit is made new. We're alive in Christ. But just because we're alive in Christ doesn't mean that we realize that there are things and truths that we're to live out that we haven't fully awoken to, that we haven't been able to fully grasp and embrace and believe. So although we've been made alive in Christ, although we're made new, we don't always realize how alive and how free we truly are in Christ because there's still barriers that we need to break through in order to see those things and experience the truth that you're free, that you're loved, that you're secure, and that you're valued because of Jesus You can hear things all the time that sound really good, but your experiences are often contrary to some of the things that you hear that are really good. You're like, that sounds really good, but it's hard for me to grasp. It's hard for me to see. It's hard for me to experience those things when my reality seems to be very different from that. And it's all about renewing our minds to see ourselves as Christ sees us. It's all about changing the way that we think because I want want to believe what Jesus says about me, not what everyone else would want to think or say about me. Amen, somebody? I want to believe what God's Word has said about me and where I am positionally in the eyes of God because of Jesus so I can live as a free man or a free woman in Christ. So many people hear about freedom. Then why are we not experiencing the freedom that only Christ gives? because we need to break through these barriers. So our text today is really going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. I just wanted to open up with Romans chapter 12 just because it's such a great passage on renewing the mind. But flip over to 1 Peter, and we're going to kind of camp out there. We're going to set up camp in 1 Peter today. So just go ahead and go to 1 Peter in the very first chapter. Now, we're going to make some parallels here between Romans chapter 12 and 1 Peter because they're really saying a lot of the same things. If you remember what the Apostle Paul said to the Romans, uh, one of the things that he was trying to communicate is don't be conformed to the world. 
Don't live like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's saying, listen, there's a way that you're living that is contrary to how the believer should live, but for you to see yourself like Christ sees you and to live the life that Christ wants you to live, it's going to mean some things are going to have to change in the way that you think. And so Paul's telling that same message that Peter's about to tell to this group of churches that he's writing to in 1 Peter. Let's read chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Good luck with that. <laughs> According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit. If you know how to say any of those words when I'm struggling, you can just shout them out. It's okay. <laughs> I won't be embarrassed. I'd rather get it right. But everyone's like, yeah, that sounds good, Pastor. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved with various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. Stop right there before we go on reading. One of the things that, Paul, that Peter said was that, I know you guys have been struggling, but you need to remember the source of your salvation. I know that you've been tested through all these different trials. If you want to talk about trials and, and things that were going on in their lives, Peter wrote this letter during the time of the emperor Nero. And if you remember, Nero's most famous for burning down Rome. And Nero blamed the burning down of Rome on Christians. Nero was very much a narcissist, and he wanted to leave a legacy that was attributed to him by building great buildings that were attributed to him. But when he became emperor of Rome, Rome was already a superpower, and there wasn't all that much to be built. And so in his mind, he thought, for me to be able to build a legacy unto myself, I've got to tear the whole thing down so I can start over. And so he went and had Rome completely burned and so he could begin to build things and monuments and places and towns unto himself. And it was very demonic, very evil that this man would choose to inflict his own people in order to satisfy his own pride and his own uh, sadistic ways. But part of the ways that he, believe, he, he got people to believe that Christians were the ones who did it was because Christians weren't all that well thought of in Rome because of all these different ideas people had about Christians at the time. Uh, they were viewed as cannibals because there would be rumors spread they were eating flesh and drinking blood. And so people began to hate Christians because they thought they were eating flesh and drinking blood, but they were just participating in the Lord's Supper and they didn't truly understand. So Nero twisted that and began to make people think that Christians were weird. Also, 
Christians greeted each other with a holy kiss when they would see one another. So they blamed the Christians on being homosexual and being very immoral and things like that. And he began to build this great case against why these wicked, evil Christians were these people who were actually the source and the cause of destroying Rome. Therefore, guess what? The persecution of the church began to rise to an all-time high. And it was a very evil, very wicked persecution. People were sought after. They were tortured in ways that you and I could never imagine. Even Peter himself ended up losing his life as a martyr, being crucified on a cross. But as historians tell us, he was crucified upside down per his own request because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner that Jesus did. So he actually requested that he would be crucified upside down. And you can read all of these stories about different people who were martyred for their faith in a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's really a a very gruesome book, but it also lets you know the things that people were willing to go through for the cause of Christ. All of this is happening while Peter is writing to them. All right, This is actively at at, at, at its apex. And this is so intense and so real in these people's lives. And Peter's saying, don't be discouraged when you go through trials because it's testing your faith. So he's not talking about the fact that their boss is angry at them at their job and they're stressed out about work or they're stressed out about their finances. That's not what Peter's writing to them about. Peter's writing to them about your faith is literally being tested because you are being persecuted, because people are wrongly viewing you, lies have been spread about you, you're being blamed for something you didn't do, and it's testing your faith. It's like putting it through a fire. It's like putting gold through a fire, but your faith is much stronger than even the gold that would get put through a fire. Verse 8, let's pick this back up now that we know that little bit of history. Though you have seen, though you've not seen him, You love him. Talking about you haven't seen Jesus, but you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating that he predicated the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that they have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, you need to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Here we hear some similar language that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In verse 14, we see here that Peter's saying, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartiality according to each one's own deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways and inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He said, you need to remember your value. You need to remember the fact 
that you were not ransomed or redeemed or purchased back with things that fade away like gold or silver. He said, but you were redeemed, you were ransomed, you were bought back, you were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, who didn't have any fault, who was without spot or who was without blemish. He said, that's what you were purchased with, so you are valued. Because Peter is addressing a group of persecuted Christians who are tired of being persecuted. I bet you it won't take you long to get tired of being persecuted. Wouldn't you think? Even though we've never experienced persecution to the degree that the people that Peter's writing to have, the things that we have to endure as Christians and the things that we get faced with, the temptations and the challenges that are presented to us that we would call persecution in our modern day or things that are challenges or things that we would deem as trials in our lives, we would say, man, I'm tired of this. And that's kind of where these people are. They're tired of it, and Peter knows they're tired of it. And so he's writing to them to encourage them to remember who they are. They're getting weary in their journey with Christ because things aren't working out like they thought. They believed in Jesus. They heard Christ preached. They got all excited about it. They got pumped up about it. They began to tell other people about Christ. And then all of a sudden this breaks out and this starts happening and they're really gauging and evaluating, is this worth it anymore? Because it's not going the way they thought it should go. Does that sound familiar to anyone's life? You make a decision to do something for God. You make a decision to begin to uh, live your life in a different way. You begin to make a decision to put different practices in your life than you had before. And when all of a sudden you hit a wall, you go, I'm not sure if this is worth it or not. I'm not sure. This isn't working out the way I thought it would work out. I thought if I did A, B, and C, then this would happen. My spouse is actually treating me worse. Um, actually, the people at work seem to hate me more now that I'm doing the things that I thought Christ wanted me to do. This isn't going the way I thought it should go. This isn't all of a sudden happening like a fairy tale to where everything begins to have a happy ending and we cue the music and then we all hug and we all just have this great heartfelt chat and everything's great afterwards. And we get discouraged and we get frustrated And we go, is this church thing really worth it? Is this Christ thing really worth it? Is this living a Christian life worth it? Or living a life truly identifying with Christ? I would rather kind of, you know, backpedal into what I would think would be a comfortable Christianity. What I knew or what I felt that I could get away with. Or what was kind of normal to me. Don't introduce anything that's going to challenge me. Don't introduce anything that would cause me to rise up and have to see my need for change and growth and renewing my mind because I don't like that. I'm tired of that. It didn't work out the way I thought it would. It didn't go the way I had it pre-thought out and pre-planned in my mind. That's exactly what was going on with the people that Peter wrote to. You see, and it caused them to do something. Same thing it causes you and I to do. It causes us and it caused them much like the people that Paul wrote to in Rome, to live beneath their value. They live beneath their value because they're forgetting who they are and they're forgetting whose they are and they're questioning whether or not this is worth it. This is too hard. And so we just throw our hands up and we go back to what is easier, what we knew before. 
That's why he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't go back to the former lusts or passions that you had before Christ. He's saying, I know that that's easy. I know you're tired. And I know that there's a roadblock there. There's a barrier that says, this isn't going my way, but you need to keep going because it's worth it. And you need to break through that roadblock so you can see the grace of God at work. This is why we see this here in Scripture, and it helps us to make a lot more sense of it because we need to understand the value that Christ has given us because it actually empowers us to grow in sanctification in a way that brings glory to God. Listen, church, I want you to live and experience the freedom and joy and contentment that only Christ can give. I don't want you to come to Word of Grace week in and week out, and hear sermons that you never get to experience the life that is talked about on the weekend. I don't want you to see things in Scripture that you never get to experience in your life. Well, pastor preaches about the joy that Christ gives, but man, I don't know that I've ever experienced that. Pastor talks about contentment on the weekend, but I don't know that I have ever experienced that contentment. Pastor talks about peace, But man, I have everything in my life but peace. Pastor talks about freedom on the weekend, but I don't know that I truly am ever going to be free from this habit, this addiction, this behavior, this way I respond all of the time that's negative to other people. And you feel trapped and you feel isolated. And it's almost like you come to church and someone is dangling a carrot in front of your face that you never can truly grasp. That's the last thing that I want for you. I want you to be empowered to experience God's best for you. Amen, somebody? But for you to do that, but for you to do that, you've got to be able to break through those barriers. And we need to change our value system in order to see our value. We've got to change that system of value in order to truly see our value because it's Jesus alone who gives us value. That's why in 1 Peter 18 and 19, Peter wrote to the persecuted churches and he said to them, you were not bought, you were not redeemed with perishable things. Like normally when someone would be held ransom, if a slave would would be held ransom by the slave owner and a, a family member or a friend wanted to set them free, nothing else would do it except for gold and silver. That was what needed to be exchanged in order to pay the ransom for that person to really be free. Otherwise, they're going to be a slave. Jesus said, I know that's what you've experienced in the past where someone would actually buy a slave free uh, by a slave's freedom with gold and silver but that's not what i'm talking to you about that you were set free with you were set free from being a slave to sin you were set free from being a slave to your own passions and your own lusts you were set free from your past you were set free from a bad value system and purchased away from those things by the very precious blood of jesus that was perfect that was without spot or blemish at all. He's like that perfect lamb. And he was trying to relate to these guys because most of these people that he's writing to came from a Jewish background. And if you remember the story of Moses back during the time where uh, the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians, God sent plagues to Egypt. 
And God sent those plagues, but they never affected the children of God. They affected the Egyptians because Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not see the fact that these people needed to be released and let go. Even though Moses said, God says, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh said, no, I'm not going to do it. And God sent these plagues. And the final plague that finally made Pharaoh release God's people to over... I, 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 I did a lot of research on uh, the children of Israel back then. And, and I used to think it was around a million people, but more scholars are agreeing that the enslavement, the 400-year enslavement that was actually set free under the leadership of Moses was more like over 2 million people. That's a lot of folks, okay? That's more people than live in the entire Milwaukee area, okay, which is the biggest city in our state. That's a lot of people to be released from slavery and captivity and bondage. But the thing that opened Pharaoh's eyes and was the final straw was when the death angel came and actually took all of the firstborn except for those who had taken the blood of a perfect spotless lamb and put it on their doorposts and on the sides of their doors. And when the angel would go by, he would see the blood and he would pass by. But those that didn't have that, then... The, uh, the, the firstborn would die. And that's what happened to Pharaoh's son. And it broke his heart. And he said, go ahead and leave. I don't want anything to do with you. Take your people, lest all of us end up dying. And from that day forward, the children of Israel always celebrated something called Passover. And there would always be a sacrifice for a Passover lamb. Now this lamb that was actually sacrificed was a lamb that was, had to be perfect, couldn't have any blemishes, couldn't have any spots on it. It had to be this pure white lamb. And this lamb actually had to become kind of a pet in the house too because the Bible gives very, uh, very clear instructions that this lamb's to be loved. So they probably named the lamb. They probably played with the lamb as if there were children in the home. And they loved it because... The point was that when it was time to sacrifice the lamb on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the people to celebrate Passover, then it, it had to be something that was hard to do. It had to be something that broke their heart. It wasn't just like, oh, there's a lamb, let's go kill a lamb. No, this is something that we loved, something we cared for. Because Jesus was the fulfillment of all those years of celebrating Passover, of being our Passover lamb. Instead of once a year, he did it once and for all. Amen, somebody? And that's why Peter is saying, you remember? You remember growing up with the lamb that you had to raise? You remember the teaching about Moses? You remember hearing those stories? He said, you were not purchased with silver and gold. You were purchased with the precious blood of the Lamb, once and for all, Jesus Christ. He's trying to get them to renew their minds, to change the way that they're thinking, so they'll begin to see their value, so they'll begin to live like they're a person of value. They'll begin to live like they're worth something. They'll begin to hold their head up high and realize that even though everyone's against me, even though everything seems to be after me and people are wanting to persecute me and things aren't going the way that I thought they should go, I can still live a life knowing I'm loved and valued by God in the face of those circumstances. That's what Peter's trying to get them to see. But there's a barrier there. And the barrier is their day-to-day -day reality. The barrier is the way that they're experiencing life. The barrier is the things that are against them. The barrier is 
the way that they're seeing themselves. You see, the barriers to experiencing freedom in Christ are real. But I don't want to just talk about experiencing freedom. I want to experience it. Amen? You see, these barriers come from a backwards faith that's really not faith. Look at, look at 1 Peter 14. Let's back up all the way to verse 14 because this verse is key. He lets them know, well, let's go to 13. He says, you need to prepare your mind for action. So in other words, there's going to be stuff happening and you need to just go ahead and prepare your mind for it. You need to know that there is an enemy against you. You need to know that persecutions will come, that trials will come. Jesus didn't promise anything different. He said that you can go through them without being afraid, though. He said you don't have to let fear dominate, even though you're going to go through hard times and difficult seasons. He said, don't be afraid. He said, because I'm with you, he said, to the end of the earth. He said, I'm with you to the end of the age. He said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. He said, so don't be afraid of what man can do unto you. So Jesus is trying to reiterate his promise, and Peter is trying to let them know he is faithful. He said, you need to prepare your minds for action by being sober-minded, where you set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions or to the lust of your former ignorance. He said, but you need to be holy as he is holy. In other words, what he's saying is that you're allowing your emotions to be in the driver's seat of your actions. And that's a barrier. That's a barrier to your growth and your walk with God. He's saying your lust, your passions, your desires, the way you feel about things are a barrier. Emotions are a barrier, but they're not bad when they're in their proper place, because God gave us emotions. So I'm not trying to demonize emotions, but emotions are a barrier that we need to break through, because if your emotions are in the driver's seat, and if your emotions are the foundation of your life, then guess what? They become a barrier. How you feel about something, or how someone makes you feel. How you experience something, and you walk away feeling bad because of that experience, that can become a barrier. Because we get offended, and all of a sudden, a huge emotion just floods our heart and floods our mind and begins to control our lives and gets in the driver's seat. Next thing you know, we're saying stupid stuff, we're doing stupid stuff, because something is in the driver's seat that should not be in the driver's seat. And that's our emotions. Our emotions can't be depended on. You see, emotions should be a result of something. They shouldn't be the thing that causes us to act. They should be the result of an action. Because so many people say stuff like, I want to experience peace and joy, but they don't want to do the things that cause peace and joy. They just want to experience the emotions on the front end when they don't realize that faith is stepping out when I don't feel it. Faith is stepping out when it doesn't feel good and warm and fuzzy. We want the warm and fuzzy first before we step out, but that's not faith. Faith says, I'm going to step out when it's uncomfortable. Faith says, I'm going to trust when it's difficult. And then I get blanketed with a peace because I know God's faithful. Even if I'm in the middle of the storm, I can still step out in faith. Not step out when it all feels good. Not, all, not step out when it all makes sense to me because your emotions can be very irrational 
And they're not a proper gauge to be able to move forward in your life if they're in the driver's seat. You see, when emotions are in control, you shape your perception of the world and you shape what you expect from other people or what you think you deserve based on how things make you feel. You'll even base your view on what God is like based on how God makes you feel. People will even base their experience or commitment to a church based on how they feel. People base their commitment to a spouse based on how they feel. People base their commitment to a certain job based on how they feel. It's just not making me feel good anymore. Wow. Is that the thing that you're using to be in the driver's seat to help you make decisions? You need to renew your mind Because Peter is trying to get across, don't be conformed or led by the passions and desires and lust that you've had, the feelings and emotions that have been in the driver's seat, because those things will lead you astray. Your emotions will lead you into making poor choices. So our emotions can't be the thing that's leading us. We have to be led by something a lot more solid and a lot more secure than our emotions. Amen? Because our emotions are up and down. Our emotions are up and down all the time. They're not consistent. They're like when Jesus said, a wise man builds his house on the rock, but a foolish man builds his house on the sand. The sand is the emotion. Because guess what? Man, I remember one time I went to Pensacola Beach. You ever been to Pensacola Beach before? Really pretty. Pensacola, Florida. Man, real pretty beaches. We were on this beautiful white beach, and I was 14 years old. And I had spent probably three hours making the coolest sandcastle you've ever seen in your life. All right? I spent a lot of time on this thing. And I took pictures of it. But then guess what happened? The tide comes in. No! All this work. It's, it's getting washed away. It's changing. Why? Because the sand is shifting. That's just like our emotions. That's why... A foolish man builds his house on the sand. A foolish man sets his foundation on something that's shifting and changing. And Oh, I go to church because I feel good. Well, yeah, what about the days that you don't feel good? Yeah, I'm going to stay at this job as long as it makes me feel good and I feel like I'm making a difference. What if you don't feel that? I'll go to work as long as everyone makes me feel good. It makes me feel important. What about when they don't make you feel important? All of a sudden, it begins to cloud your rationale. Begins to cloud your judgment. Oh, he doesn't make me feel like I used to feel. She doesn't make me feel like they used to make me feel. What does that have to do with anything? We put that in the driver's seat. We put that in the front seat when it shouldn't be in the front seat at all. We need to do what God tells us to do because there will be seasons that we go through where the feelings aren't there where's your commitment where's your foundation that's going to endure the storm are you going to get blown away because every time something happens you don't like things shift and all of a sudden it messes up your whole life it messes up your friendships it messes up your relationships it messes up the way you spend your money it messes up the things you're committed to Because all of a sudden, there's a storm, and the foundation is not secure, and you're not reminded of the foundation. 
You see, that's why Peter said we've got to get rid of these barriers. And we've got to remember our value so we can live like we're valued. Because someone who understands their value is going to live out of that. And then the emotions that I experience, those emotions are going to be a result of my understanding of who I am. You see, faith is what perseveres through the barrier. Faith is the thing that keeps us going. Faith is believing and trusting in the things that are hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's not the things that may be extremely tangible at the moment, but it's knowing that God has said it, and because God is faithful, I'm going to trust what He says regardless of what may be happening to me or around me. Amen, somebody? Just hang on to First Peter there, but if you want to follow along with me, you can go back to Romans. We're going to look again at Romans chapter 5 this time because the Apostle Paul says something really powerful to the church in Rome. So if you have one of the sweet bookmark things like this, put it there in First Peter, and let's go over to Romans chapter 5 because we'll go back to Peter in just a moment. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 Paul's kind of talking about the same thing. He's talking to a church that's kind of being persecuted over some things, not to the degree that Peter's crowd is experiencing it, but nonetheless experiencing some opposition and some internal division as well over the differences between the Jews and the Greeks and what their place should be in the church and their view in society. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Oh, stop right there. I could preach that. Since we've been justified by what? We have peace. So since we've been justified by faith, we have peace. He didn't say, since you have peace, you've been justified by faith. You see, the peace is the experience. The peace is the emotion. He said, faith has caused you to be awakened to being reconnected and justified by faith because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did. And because it's all about Jesus and it's not about your performance, it gives you peace. He said you're justified through faith. And because of that, guess what? You have peace. He said you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not some peace you conjured up. It's not something you had to psych yourself out about. It's not something you had to do, but rather it was what Jesus did. Verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. So it's not just a one-time thing. Now I now have a continual access to grace when I need grace. I now have access, an open door, to be able to remind myself of my position and who I am in Christ by looking at the Scripture, by reminding myself of the truth, by remembering what Jesus did on the cross through taking the Lord's Supper, through doing those things in remembrance of Him, through praying, through fellowship with Him. All of a sudden, now I'm reminded of the grace so I don't forget because I can drift so easily back into self-reliance. I can drift so easily back into letting my emotions, my lust, my passions get in the driver's seat. He said, now we have access. It's not just a one-time thing, but faith is the key that opens the door. Faith will give you access to to grace, by which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? We rejoice in our sufferings. That doesn't make sense at all. I don't want to suffer. Well, you're going to, at some level, have challenges and things that are difficult. 
And he said, but you can rejoice in those things, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Man, that is a powerful passage of Scripture, church. You see, you need to hear yourself speaking, praying the Word of God. You need to invest in it in order to renew your mind because you and I will need access to the grace of God all throughout our days that we live here on this earth. There will be times where we need to remind ourselves of grace and have access to grace, not just for ourselves, but so we can give it to other people. Because guess what? Other people are going to do you wrong too. Other people may be part of the reason you feel you're suffering. But instead of giving up, instead of letting emotions get back in the driver's seat, what you do is you say, okay, God, Instead of me getting upset, I need to go back to my foundation and I need to say, Father, what would you have me do about this? What would you have me do in this situation? What does your word say about this situation? Because my emotions, man, I'm tempted to give in to them things because I want to whop on some people right now. I want to see some people fail. I want to see some people hurt like I've been hurt. I want to see some people experience disappointment to the level that I've experienced it because of them. I want retribution. But grace says no. Grace says you give them what you were given. And then when I receive this grace by faith and I remind myself of the message of the gospel, then all of a sudden the love of God can fill my heart so I can give it freely because I received it freely. Amen, somebody? And then all of a sudden I'm making more sound decisions. I'm thinking clearly, even though I may not feel it at the time, and I may still struggle with the feeling. I refuse to let the feeling drive the decision. Instead, I make the decision by faith. And when I make the decision by faith, man, I go, God, I'm just going to have to trust you. And when I finally come to the point of really trusting God, guess what I can do? (sighs) I can rest. There have been several times in my life where we're facing financial testing and struggling, and some of it was our own doing, some of it wasn't our own doing. And we knew that God was faithful, and we knew that we were to give Him what was His. And we wanted to be faithful with the tithe, and we want to be faithful in stewarding. But man, there were times in our lives where we said, I just can't afford to do that right now. But then we got to swallow and go, nope, but what did God say? Because I was afraid that I wouldn't have enough. I was afraid that I couldn't make ends meet or put food on the table if I gave God what was his. If I tithed, if I gave that first 10% to God, I was afraid because the reality was, the persecution was, the pressure, the emotion. And I had opportunity to make emotional decision and go, you know what, I could... I, 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 could, I could put a stop on that check. I could, I could not do that. I could wait and see how things go. And if I wait and see how things go, and then if I have enough left over, then I'll give it to God. But God didn't say do it that way. God said do it first. And man, there were so many times, folks, let me tell you, 
especially early on in our marriage. My wife and I just celebrated 15 years of marriage a couple of weeks ago. But early on in our marriage, there were times where there was a tough decision that needed to be made. And we had to say, God, we still trust you. I don't know in my logical reasoning if we're going to be able to make it, but we need to do what God said. So are we going to trust our emotions? Are we going to let the circumstance dominate? Or are we going to trust what God told us to do? And let me tell you, every time that we trusted and we did what God told us to do, God always provided and he always took care. Every time, without fail. Has anyone else experienced that before? It's prioritizing what God said. Oh, man, that was a hard thing for us to do, especially when I'm looking at three babies. And I'm looking at the fact that I'm running this business and I'm trying to plant this church and people aren't giving at the church and people aren't paying their bills when I gave them my business and I worked with them and tried to get them to do what they're supposed to do on their end and it seemed like I need to do everything but, but God is so faithful that I said, no, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Now, I wish I could say that I did that every time. But I didn't do that every time. There were times where I gave in to my fear. There were times where I slipped back into the passions of my lust and I let emotions drive me. And I paid for some of those decisions because I wasn't trusting God. But every time I've trusted to do things God's way, even in the face of adversity, He always proves Himself faithful. Amen, somebody. You see, you have to change your value system in order to see your value. You've got to say, God, what do you want? Not what makes sense to me. God, what's the method you said? What's the way you said? What's the truth you said? What's the principle you said? How do you want me to do this? Not how I feel. Man, we need to stop letting our emotions run us because so many things in culture, the pattern of this world, the cultural norm is to give in to what feels right. That's what's preached all over the TV. That's what's preached all over the, 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 the things that we entertain ourselves with, is people just giving in to what feels right. And it causes a mess, and it gets us into trouble. When we give in to those emotions and the passions and the lusts and all of those things that we go, God, I don't really know if you're really that good because this feels really good, and what you told me to do doesn't feel that good. Because sometimes God asks us to do things that don't feel that good, but God promises better than what it is that we were chasing after before. But that takes faith. That takes trusting in something that we don't see. That takes trusting in something we haven't yet experienced. That takes trusting that God really is good and that what he has for us is actually better than my way. We, we, we prioritize these things wrong and we get these things backwards. We exchange sleep for prayer because we think that sleep is going to do us better than prayer will. We exchange entertainment for going to the source of God's word when we feel stressed out. Or we exchange food for time with the Lord because we think the food will make us feel better. Or we exchange alcohol for time with the Lord because that prayer thing, that's just something I do on Sunday, this is going to make me feel better now. And we keep buying into the lie and we keep letting the emotions run the show 
and we're just feeding into this barrier, and this barrier keeps getting stronger, and the Apostle Paul is probably just screaming at us from heaven saying, didn't you read Romans 12? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Peter is probably yelling from heaven saying, didn't you read 1 Peter where I said, don't give in to those lusts. Don't you know you're more valuable than that? Don't you know God cares about you more than that? Don't you know God is going to provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Don't you know he cares about you more than those people that are selling you that bottle? Don't you know he cares about you more than those people that are selling you the sex on TV? Don't you know he cares about you more than that uh, false pseudo-relationship that you think you have through pornography? Don't you know he cares about you? He said, don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. Be holy as I am holy. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get through the barrier if you really want to be free. If we just want to keep medicating something, keep going back and just fulfilling our lusts and just filling our belly with that. If we really want to be free, if we really want to experience God's best, we go, all right, emotions, get in the back seat. You're still part of my life, but you're not running my life. God's word, God's truth, you get in the front seat. Show me where I need to go, what I need to do who you've called me to be because I want your best and God's best is better than anything you could ever imagine because God's best will give you the wherewithal to endure whatever persecution may come. God's best and realizing your value and realizing that you're bought with the precious blood of Jesus will give you the wherewithal to stand in the face of your persecutor and keep moving forward. Jesus said, don't be afraid of what man can do. Peter said, don't be afraid of what these people can do. Don't you know there's going to be trials? And and man, that grieves my heart that those things are happening. But don't get weary in well-doing. Don't get tired when things aren't working out the way you thought they should because you've been given this false gospel. This false gospel that would say, hey, become a Christian and everything's going to become perfect in your life and you're never going to have any problems because that's not gospel at all. And if you want to go find a church that preaches that and teaches that and just is interested in making you feel good instead of preaching hard truth to you, then you're missing the truth of the gospel that says, I will go through difficult times, but I can have peace in the storm." Instead of believing the lie that I'm supposed to just, everything's supposed to work out my way. The world is Burger King. I can have it my way. And everything's going to go the way I want it. And it's just all going to work out and be perfect. And everyone's going to treat me great because I'm going to be so great. It's all going to be great. Bosses are always going to be awesome. Coworkers are always going to be great. My husband and wife, always going to be perfect. Children, perfect going to be great and we get the idea and the and we buy into the illusion that the goal of christianity is to have everyone treat you great and everything in your life go great that's not the goal of christianity the goal of christianity is to show forth the glory of god and you want to know what shows the glory of god's best when he can be exalted through your weakness through my weakness where i'm a sinner and i'm broken and i realize that and he comes in and makes me new 
when I'm someone that maybe wasn't well thought of before and all of a sudden God comes in and changes my heart and the way I treat people is different now. The things that I used to hold on to, I don't hold on to anymore and it blows people away and they see God glorified through my life. That's the goal of Christianity is for God to be glorified. We, <laughs> I went to a leadership conference in uh, Milwaukee on Friday, just a little half-day thing. It was a John Maxwell thing. It was really good. But one of the speakers there said this. He said, we're either playing finite games or infinite games in our lives. A finite game is a game that has an ending, it has a beginning, it has set rules, set boundaries. An infinite game is one that never ends. And he said a lot of people in business treat their businesses like a finite game, like baseball. Baseball has a beginning, baseball has an end. And baseball is really long and you're always glad when it's over. And everyone knows when it's over, and you know what the goal is in baseball. The goal in baseball is to score more points than the other team. And if you score more points than the other team, you win and you celebrate. But that's not how life is. That's not how the Christian life is. But so many people view Christianity through the lens of a finite game. And they're looking to win, and they think that winning is being better than someone else. They think winning is going to church. They think winning is not doing this and doing this. And if they can get those things accomplished, they feel like they've won. And so they coast and they never grow. But Christianity is infinite. It's not a finite game where we accomplish these certain goals and then all of a sudden we relax. Christianity is infinite because it's something where you and I are always growing and we're always changing. And an infinite game, the goal of an infinite game is to keep the game going. And this thing called Christianity... Our goal is to keep this going so others can experience freedom like you and I are, and we're growing just like everybody else. I don't want to be the same as I was yesterday. Yesterday's trophies, great. They're in yesterday. What about today? Who I was yesterday, great, good, bad, ugly. I don't know. What about today? I'm not even focused on tomorrow. What about today? What are you going to do today? that's going to move you forward to seeing these barriers broken in your life so you can see the value that God has in your life. That you recognize and wake up to the fact that you were purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. Your value is wrapped up in the precious blood of the Lamb. So here's my challenge to you this next week. I want to challenge you to do this every day in order to renew your mind. I want you to read 1 Peter 1, 18-19, just those two verses. Every morning, first thing in the morning, before you check Facebook to see what's going on in the neighborhood, before you look at the news to see what's the latest thing that one of our political candidates has said or hasn't said or done or hasn't done, before you start thinking about the tasks you have to do at work and reviewing your to-do lists before any of that stuff starts. I want you to wake up and I want you to read 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. And then I want you to read it out loud so you can hear yourself saying it. So you can hear yourself saying, you were bought not with silver and gold, but you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And then you allow what you read that morning to be something that guides your day. Because all you can affect is what you're going to do today. Amen, somebody? 
Every time those lies get in the way, every time those emotions want to creep up and try to get in the driver's seat, you renew your mind by reminding yourself that you are valuable and now you need to live like it. Be holy as I am holy. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove, so you can show, so you can attest and testify to the goodness and the grace of God at work in your life. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.